Persons under 18 will not be admitted. What's up, everybody? This is Jeff and Ben. Um, talking with the dead. And still talking with. And still talking with. Still talking with is our live show. Yes. You can catch that every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. That's yeah. Eastern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You live yeah. in fucking California. It's got to be three. No, four. Four? Yeah. They're oh. only three hours behind. What about daylight savings? Yeah, well, fuck that. We'll worry about that one. Okay, so if you're on the West Coast, you're going to have to look up when 6 o'clock is out there compared to here. Which would be actually 7 o'clock out there. 7 o'clock? Yeah. No, before this is over, I'm going to need a whole lot of serious therapy. You're all fucked up today. Another dollar for the swear jar. I'm always fucked up. <laughs> you should tune into the show and see really how fucked up I can get. Oh, yeah. Well, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. And when you do tune in, you're going to see amazing guests like this. Hey, what's up? This is Jeremy Palco from The Walking Dead, and this is Still Toking With. Hi, I'm Larry Kenny, and you're listening to Still Toking With. What's up, everybody? It's comedian Sherwin Array, and you're listening to Still Toking With on the Dorkening Podcast Network. Hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Still Token With. My name is Leo. I'm the monkey behind the keyboard here. We have a most incredible show for you, as always. And uh, with further ado, without further ado, Benjamin, how's it going, bud? Most incredible show for you. I yes. kind of missed I missed that last week when you weren't here. I'm sorry. It's okay. Is mom doing okay? She's doing okay. That's all that matters. Yeah. So, yeah. No, we actually have a... a, a Excellent show tonight. The, all our shows are excellent, but our guest is excellent tonight. Wow! Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> jar Jar. Hey Heidi Ho! Happy Wednesday, everybody! I'm still token. I'm Wait here as you're not Jeff. Jeff. I was going to say you're not Jeff. Where the hell is he? Oh, that's right. Jeff's gone for two weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. His wife dragged him to Alaska. Holy shit! Yeah. I, I tried to pay her to see if she'd leave him, but... Uh, is he going to find a baby Sasquatch this time? I think he's looking for one. Okay. I think he's looking for one. But I'm going to let Jaja uh, introduce our guest, just because I like fucking with him. Look at his oh, face! man. <laughs> Always do this to me. All right. Well, our guest tonight has acted. He's a screenwriter first and foremost, and has done... Well, the greatest of all movies, Dumb and Dumber, and Dumber Dumber, and Dumber Dumb 2, co-written with the Farrelly brothers. Um, it, it's Bennett Yellen. Oh, my God. It's me. It's only me. My God. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, as far as you I'm can... sorry. You know, next week, I'm actually going to be prepared to do the, introduce somebody, and they're not going to ask me to do it, but like... <laughs> That, that, yeah, but, really, that was the, the most articulate uh, yeah. introduction I've ever received in the history of my podcasting career. Well, that goes right into my first question. <laughs> what, what role does improv play in your writing process? Absolutely. Not only z what's less than zero. Is there something <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I am so not. An, I, I love that. I, although I have some like acting credits and my acting credits include me. Yeah. Being on the side of, of an apartment building, like my no, I'm not an actor. I'm a writer. They're better than my acting credits. I'm an uncomfortable. Well, well, 
That I'll agree with. I mean, yeah. and, and you're introducing credits, so. But, <laughs> but uh, no, it's nice to be here, you guys. You got a, but you have like 45 minutes of introduction, which was very entertaining. I like the zombie. I, in fact, I'm drinking some some dead grounds right now. So, mm. Woo, that's got a kick to it. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be here, all, all of you. Thank you for having me. I, obviously, you got to the end of. <laughs> The thin end of guests, and you're like, <laughs> I, like I saw your previous guest, and I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm the guy, the, I'm the the celebrity in the credits. Like they go through all the credit, and then and Bennett Yellen is the last special credit. thanks. I kind of feel like that, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah. Everybody's like, who's Bennett Yellen? I know. <laughs> See, I I kind of already knew who he was. I did too. Oh, it's easy for you to say because yeah, I know. And and again, I'm gonna say it. We're I saw your audition tape for The Little Mermaid, and, and I, I'm gonna be honest. I think they made the right choice, even if even if it didn't do well. Right, right. I do too. I do too. I just want to see how long I can hold my breath underwater tonight. That's it. <laughs> it's easier when you're dead. That yeah. is true. That is true. Right. You can go forever. We could, we could, we could go like this for the whole show. I'm, I'm fine with that. It's you gonna know. be off yeah. the rails, I'm guessing. Yeah, oh, it already we, is. Leo eat a brownie. Throw so. this out, right? Just. Look at, show them, George. Or show them your, your oh, I'm carefully you, prepared it's, notes. It's all Two on front sides. Yeah, like, I, if, if I have want, to say, go Jar down one by one. Jar Jar like, is the most prepared person ever. He's insane. I, uh, I, I, I kind of awesome. stalk you. Once I find out that, like, <laughs> my next interview, yeah. I've been sleeping under your bed. You know, that <laughs> noise you heard last night, that was just me. Don't worry. Peanut butter and jelly. I like snakes. strawberry jelly next time. <laughs> uh, Don't worry. I've yeah. had worse under my bed. <laughs> worse <laughs> <in> my life. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I hope you've got a question that that's like where I'm I, like, holy shit! I had no idea oh, that someone on. knew that or was going to ever ask that. I hope you're full of those because I have yeah. one. I don't know if it'll make you go holy shit, but uh, how is UMass? It, that's actually out near where I you went to uh, college out where I, I live. Oh, where, where do you live? I, I live right next door to Amherst. I'm in Westfield. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I loved it. I love him because I was what? raised. Oh, what's your question, George? Oh, well, God damn it, Bennett. How was, how was your mass? Or, what did I do? Uh, was, no, was, was it as much of a party school back then as it is now? Like, yeah. Well, it, it was, is... I think it was always thought of as a party school, right? But when I was going there and I was going for graduate school, and you're in grad school, and oh. first of all, if you drink in grad school, you're, you're, you're an adult. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not a party, it's a faculty get together you know so, so how much did you make off of packy runs <laughs> you know, it, it's this is funny because i i'm was raised orthodox jewish and i grew up here in los angeles and i didn't go I, I when i went to undergraduate i went to ucla and i was living at home so i didn't leave the house i didn't leave the nest until i went to grad school until i went to umass and i had not at the time that i went to umass i hadn't I hadn't gotten high. I hadn't gotten drunk. None of those things. I was living at home and I was, I was, a, you know, I was sheltered Orthodox Jew in one weekend. And I think it was the second weekend. It could have been the first in one <laughs> night. I got stoned and uh, got drunk for the first time all the, and learned how to play poker all on the same night. And uh, so it was, a so that's, 
That's what did grad you quit it all, all on the, Did you quit it all on the same night too? Where you're just like f that. Oh, I, did I quit it? That was the beginning <laughs> of a whole of a whole slew of degrees I got in uh, <laughs> in higher education. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I, I it was great. I, in fact, I remember <laughs> I remember when I got when I got I, I don't know what I, what was first was the pot and then the, and then the getting drunk. But I remember thinking like everything got quiet. My, my head was such, so loud and there were so many, th there were like, my head was just a lot of thoughts all the time and it got really nice and quiet. I said, Oh, this is, this is what like William, this is why William Faulkner yeah. was a drunk. And I, like, like I suddenly understood in that moment, why some of the great literary figures were famous alcoholics. Said, yeah, this is it. Because <laughs> you got a whole new perspective and, and now Cheech and Chong is funny too. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Never understood why that van was on fire. Yeah, yeah, but I, lo so, I love, I loved you, Mass. Oh, yeah. I love Massachusetts. It was beautiful, Western. Uh, it was gorgeous. Yeah, and I, that's where you wrote "Dust to Dust," right? That's where I wrote. That's where I, I met Peter Farrelly the first day of class, the first class, and uh, we instantly became friends. This is how we became friends. We're in class again. I've never been away from home, so I'm sort of very, you know like socially awkward. I, I don't think I've talked to anybody yet. And we were supposed to bring the first page of, our, of a short story that we had written to the class. And the teacher was going to go around. We we're going to read each page. And then he said, and then we're going to figure out what we can tell about the story from just the first page. And this guy was a name. His name was George Cuomo. And he was, he was heavy set. He was rotund. That's the first time Rotend has been used in 2023. I think. <laughs> I'll send them a nickel, the Rotend uh, residual. <laughs> and uh, so we read, the, I didn't know anyone in class. Pete's sitting across from me. We read this uh, first page and George Cuomo said, I like this first page, but, and I have one very big but. And Pete and I looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> we just burst out laughing. And, and right after class, we met in the hallway and we said, he did have a big bus, didn't he? <laughs> I'm Pete, I'm Bennett. We met instantly that day. And, uh, and that's where we met. And, and so we got to know each other very quickly. You know, even he was writing at the time on yellow pads, uh, his novel outside Providence, which he, which ended up oh, being no published. And then it ended up being made into a movie that was, uh, directed by, uh, Michael Carenti, another director, but, uh, yeah, he would read me. He'd come over and he'd read me the chapters as he's writing them for Outside Providence. So, yeah, there's more to this story, but it could go of how we got started. Yeah, I, I actually know. Five on your list. So I, was I know the story, but I, I really I, I like to lead you into it to tell yeah. these guys. Who's leading who, pal? <laughs> But Ben, if you'd like to talk or Leo, you know, no, you, I, I don't want to take up the whole show. You know, interject with your astonishing list of. Uh, I told you, I'm just. All right. Well, actually, a little boring first. Well, Let's before you, before you do that, I I just want to continue because he did mention dust to dust. Yes. yes. Somebody yep. did hire you to uh, to work on that. Um, is it true? It was Eddie Murphy. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, what happened it's was something like so, that. So, so Pete and I decided that we had a similar sense of humor. I guess we're going to get to it this way, and we said, <laughs> "Let's write a movie." Neither of us had anything to do with the business. No, I'm from Los Angeles. My parents, my father, 
didn't have his business was nothing to do with film or television. And Pete's father in Cumberland, Rhode Island, was a doc. He was a doctor. But we said, let's do it because we have a funny. We we we're funny. We know we we're both twisted. So we wrote the silly comedy. And at the time, this is, we're talking about 1985. 80, uh, you know, Bill Murray was huge. John Candy was huge. So we thought of them when we were writing it. Uh, that, that they were both the stars of it. And Dust to Dust, they get two idiots, very much like Dumb and Dumber, uh, like Harry and Lloyd, who get a job at a funeral home that advertises like special holiday layaway sale. And, you know, uh, and the funeral homes, it, it, it's, it's a, the mob owns it and they're, they've got, uh, they're smuggling drugs. So they get involved in that plot. And, uh, and then when we were done with it and we we're finishing our programs, and Pete was on a date in New York, and the girl said, "You'll never guess who moved in next door to me in Alpine, New Jersey, and, and next door to my parents in Alpine, New Jersey." Eddie Murphy. Now, Eddie Murphy was the number one box office star at this time. We're talking '86. He just done yeah. Beverly Hills Cop, right? Coming off Raw of that, had been out. So Pete said, "Do you ever see him?" And she was like, I saw him going to get his mail. So I, I waved to him. And so Pete gave her dust to dust. Week later, she called and said, he was coming out getting in the car. I ran out and gave it to him. Needless to say, this couldn't happen today. You know, we're talking no. decades right. ago. Meanwhile, I had come home for, the, for the, uh, the Christmas holidays. And my sister, Freda, yes, my sister Freda is who we named Freda Felcher after, if you want to know. Um, she would go Israeli dancing and she knew David Zucker of the Zucker brothers and uh, Zucker, Abra, Abram Zucker. And uh, they had released airplane was huge, big hit. And they had just finished top secret. It hadn't come out yet. And uh, I said, Freda, do you think that you could give our script to David Zucker? And she said, sure, I'll give it to him. And she gave it to him. Uh, and then months passed. We, let's, as, as we say in the, in the movies, dissolve to, Six months later, uh, uh, both of us are quitting our we're we're, we're about to uh, graduate. And there's an article in the Los Angeles Times and it was all about it's called the Eddie Murphy script derby. It was about what all the writers were trying to write movies for Eddie Murphy because he's the number one box office. And the article began. God, I wish I had it right here so I could have read the exact. Uh, sorry about that. But it said Eddie Murphy was looking out his Alpine, New Jersey home when he saw a sight that made his heart sink. It was a, it was a neighbor coming across the street with a script. And <laughs> the neighbor gave him the script, dust to dust. They, they put the name in the article. And what happened was Eddie had read it. He loved it. He flew back to Los Angeles where he was, was going to be for a while. And, he did, and they were looking for us. They were calling all the agencies. And, and you know, who is Peter Farrelly and Bennett Yellen? Well, we weren't anywhere because we weren't represented anywhere because we're just two guys finishing our graduate programs in Massachusetts and, and New York. And, uh, and so that they put that there, they planted that so that we would read it and call in, which is exactly what we did. We called and said, Hey, called up to Paramount and said, we're the guys who wrote dust to dust. We've been looking for you. Eddie wants to meet with you and, and he wants you to write something for him. And meanwhile, my sister Freda, not Freda Felcher, but Freda uh, <laughs> said, Bennett, David Zucker wants to talk to you. And I talked to David and David said, we read your script. You guys are funny. We want you to write a script for us. And they had a deal at Disney. And that's how we got started in a way that couldn't possibly happen today for, you know, just the first reason is nobody physically has us 
hands a script out to anybody anymore. <laughs> give you a, a flash drive or whatever. But you try and get close to Eddie Murphy. No, try, try and throw a flash drive <laughs> and have it land in his pocket. You know, so we were incredibly lucky. You know that 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 we had access to those people and that we we pushed it and that and that bottom line we had a piece of material that was that was decent enough it was our first screenplay ever that represented right. our sense of humor and and showed it off enough that people saw that there was something to us and and so yeah um and that's how we we got started with pete and i yeah was, and we wrote together for a few years was yeah. it meeting pete that actually made you become a screenwriter like did you have some other career in mind when you were going off to amherst or here's what yeah that's, that's a good that's a good question here's what i thought i as a kid i wanted i loved movies loved them i wanted to make them i wanted to i wanted to write them i i, I really did I, I i wanted to write them I had two dreams. I wanted to write movies and I also wanted to be an Imagineer because I wanted to make rides, you know, and I was a I was a magician too. And they're all kind of the same thing. Like they're all, here's a show. You're the audience. I'm Mm -hmm. the creator. There's a curtain. It opens. There's a production and, and you don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but I, I take care of that. You're entertained. You're taken away from your whatever for, Mm -hmm. and there are all versions of that. Every one of those. So, um, and in fact, I've got to do, to do every, I had, I've got a chance to do both of those dreams, but that's what I, I wanted to do. But, uh, I really what, what, why I went and got a degree, I was getting an MFA in fiction writing. I thought I was going to be, I would graduate with my MFA. I would get a pipe. I would get a corduroy coat with the leather patches. And I go off to some Midwestern college mm-hmm. and teach writing, uh, like creative writing, short story writing. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what I thought I would do, and what I expected I would do after I left UMass. I got oh. sort of sidetracked with the screenwriting oh, career. Damn it! I know. <laughs> damn it! Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you could, <laughs> been teach, you could have been teaching creative writing to younger minds right now. I could have been corrupting uh, younger minds, and uh, exactly right. Yeah, but instead, you're writing screens. I know. That, that people love. By the way, Jar Jar crossed something out. I heard it squeak. I heard. Oh, the, you heard that? Yeah. Across the. the there was some Don't have to ask that, that anymore. That just didn't seem right. Suddenly, like uh, I have no idea what it was. Well, I was going to ask him <clears throat> these six questions, but he just answered them all in one sentence. Yeah. Right. Good. Right. That probably covered about fourteen questions. Yeah. Yeah. It was like an inch time. of your of your card. <laughs> Well, um, how do you balance the humor and storytelling in your your writing, like the two of them where, you know, one doesn't overpower the other and that there's still a plot in everything? That's a big question. I hope I know. How'd you figure that I'm out? trying to steal his job here. I, I'd love to be a writer, but I... The, the getting started part is my hardest Well, thing. what you oh. need to do... Jar Jar is you have to is buy him a corduroy it. coat and a pipe yeah. and mail it to him and he oh. might he might <laughs> might teach you. I already might have the pipe. Know. It's interesting because I, I never neither Peter nor myself or nor even Bobby none of us took took screenwriting course. We didn't take any classes to learn how to do it. We just watched movies. We liked movies. I I, start, I, I mean. I, 
it's like the film was a language that I learned from a, as a child, just watching it. I, I would watch it and I'd integrate how, you know, where it cuts and things like that. And, and nothing about nothing. I didn't know about the behind the scenes. I just, I just took it apart in my head. I deconstructed it as, as a child. And, and so I spoke it and I thought it, I thought in terms of scenes and the pacing of a scene. And, mm. you know, I mean, there's no question that we got, as we wrote more, we got better as writers because you understand the, the, the technical logistics of it too. You know, but the very first project we got hired for, Oh, this was, was there was a movie we were hired to do what's called a production pass on a script. And, and it's, a, it was a script that they were about to shoot. So it was in production and sets and everything. And it was a movie that ended up, it, the script was called at the time adult education, but uh, when it came out, it was called Hiding Out with John Cryer. And this was a this comedy where he's a stockbroker. He witnesses something and he has to hide out because he looks young. He hides out in high school, back in high school. And um, and so they hired us to do a production rewrite. They wanted like the, the writer of it was also the producer. And they gave it to us. And when you do a production rewrite, we didn't know this. No one sat us down and said, here, this is what it means to do a production rewrite. We thought they just wanted a rewrite. So we rewrote it wildly, you know, but a production rewrite, you have to stay within all the parameters that they've set up with the production, like all the sets they have. If it's yeah. a new, if it's seen, you got to stay within the set that they have. You can't go, oh, we, we turned in a script not knowing, just simply not knowing. That was all new scenes and stuff like that. And, and I remember the producer almost had a heart attack because he was the writer as well. <laughs> like, what? So he had to rewrite our rewrite ironically a lot of the, the stuff that we did ended up in the movie still uh, we're not credited at all which i get but, but but that was we didn't know we learned really fast after that and, and so our, our career was a lot of bumping up against the reality of, of, of what happened what's the reality of writing a screenplay and having it actually in the pipeline of, of, of production and things like that a lot of stuff we wrote didn't get made many things if you'll hear pete and bobby talk we back in the 80s and uh, there, there was so much money. Every studio, it was you could go and out and open your mouth, and there's pennies from heaven. So, you know, mm. It was just they, they spent so much money on rewrites, uh, and they developed so many scripts which didn't get made, but they developed many, many of them. And so we wrote a lot of the things that didn't get developed, and and, and we'd write those, and and every one of those would get us another job because they, they'd be pretty good, you know. Uh, we did. I remember we did. This was not, we did this an original of this, but uh, of the Beverly Hillbillies, the Warner Brothers wanted to do a, a film version of the Beverly Hillbillies and we wrote a script for it. And it was, that, that was one of the best things we wrote. It, it was a terrific version of the Beverly Hillbillies with a fantastic opening of, of how they get rich, a whole new, uh, it was so great. It didn't get made. And then, and then that project ended up at Fox and it was rewritten and remade. And I remember Penelope Spheris was the director of that, of the, the movie that eventually got made. And she saw Pete once and she said, I have to tell you something. I, I was working on, I was directing the Beverly Hillbillies and someone gave me your script when we were halfway through. And she said, I almost wanted to quit. I was so depressed when I read your script because it was so much better. And you, and you solved so much in that first act. I'm like, that's a compliment. I like right? that. Is, right. Um, but the the answer, 
we've now spent 35 minutes to get to a non-answer to your question, which is yeah. you learn, the more you write, the more you learn, and, and the more you learn about pacing and things like that. And, and you just, you intuitively, I think the best writers that I've met are the ones who just intuitively understand the way a scene, the, the flow of a scene and, and where a joke goes and everything like that. And, and you know, even before we would do uh, any, we'd write any project, Pete is such a great, both of those guys are terrific. They're such great guys and they're, they're, they're really great in a social situation. Unlike me, because I, I can I can be like this a, a gibbering idiot. But <laughs> they're so funny all the time. And so Pete, he also is a great listener. And so he'll go to a party and he'll come back and he will sit down and he'll write lines that he heard someone say, like like a, a line that jumps out at him. And he he had notebooks. Oh, Ben Ben's like that too. Pete has notebooks yep. of these lines or jokes or things that and it would make me start to write a line down when I think of something funny and keep track of it. And before we'd start to write something, we'd sit down, we'd go through the notebooks and we'd say, Oh yeah, take that out. Take that. We pull things out. So we yeah. have these things to kind of throw in maybe to a project we're working on. And then we look for places to, to throw them in. And sometimes we would pull the plot around to, to put that into it. There's no question we would, you know, yeah. Like we would go against the concept of what's organic and what would would work. We just like let's do. We did that a bit of that in Dumb and Dumber, but uh, but it's always it's always intuitive for us. I mean, they're, 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 I I never we never worked from a you know from from instruction like right. this is how a scene should be set up or everything. And and now of course I I could probably teach it in a way only because I, I've had thirty seven years of experience doing it. I could teach it that way, but. Uh, yeah, boy, that God. If that's the answer to one of your questions, <laughs> it might have been. I forgot what the question was. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, so to tie a little bit into that, um, thinking about you mentioned like in the eighties, pennies from heaven, money was everywhere. Oh, yeah. um, talking about how writers' uh, pay scale is now compared to what it was. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, you would write something, you get residuals and after it goes into syndication, you'd get, you know, checks, you know, forever. Yeah. Uh, but now from what I've heard, it's like a pay per job. There, there's no like residuals or, or, or royalties or anything like that. Uh, how Nothing true is that? And, and like, what's that? Even with syndication, when something goes into syndication and stuff? Uh, I don't. Well, that's why I'm asking the question. Oh, oh my bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, so I want to know, you know, how much of that is true, and if there is that much of a gap now, what are your suggestions for somebody trying to enter the the writing field today? Oh my gosh, those are wow, Leo, too big. And I'm gonna I'm gonna push it. I'm gonna say unrelated questions. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna try my best to answer. Uh, you know, the, the, I still get residuals on like I, this is this is a, a WGA residual envelope. I I love seeing these in my mailbox. I always try and guess how much it's gonna be for just for fun. Uh, I my guess was like I I don't know why. I just go with the first thing that comes to mind. I said maybe it's thirty four dollars seven cents. I just want to say. Seven cents, and it costs sixty cents to to mail. <laughs> uh, but I'm still going to uh, to see if the, you, the bank will take that. Can you tell us what it was for? 
It was for a, a Disney TV movie back in like 1995 uh, called The Pooch and the Popper. Oh. Popper, Popper. Uh, when they used to have the, the Disney, when, when Michael, uh, what was his name? The, Eisner. The, Michael Eisner would, would be the host and he'd announce the Disney movie of the week. It was oh, one of those. Um, but, you know, that this is the, the resi residuals and things like that. Those are all they're all based on what the what the studio makes on that particular property and the complication is one of the reasons why oh, other side other wait go it's the opposite on your screen Bennett ah uh, 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 there <laughs> God that was hard this is like like some sort of like 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 intelligence <laughs> messes with your I brain I would have failed yeah um that's, that's a big part of what the strike is about now is streaming is a whole new way of revenue that in the last strike, which was 15 years ago, streaming was just starting and we didn't know what it was going to be like. It, it very, mm -hmm. I kind of compare it a lot to when Napster came out and how musicians were trying to figure out how they could get paid from, uh, from internet streaming and, and from internet, their, their content on the internet. And so we didn't make a very good deal, not knowing, and, and neither did the studios unless they had the foresight of 15 years later to know that, that streaming would be the number one distribution of content uh, in, for entertainment. Uh, we didn't get a good deal because we didn't know what it was and we didn't know how to make the deal. Also, the studios, play they, they don't reveal what they're making and how, how much they're making from your, they, they keep a very tight lid on it. So we can't figure out what, how we should be compensated. So that, that's one of the things we're striking for. One of the, one of the three main things for this strike has to do with uh, reconceiving streaming revenue or streaming residuals and things like that. I mean, at the same time, some of them are, some of the streamers are, are they're literally eliminating shows that like, that would normally have, have gotten, uh, made some revenue for the writers they're just eliminating them and, and they're taking them off they're, they're taking them away so that there's no way for a writer to make any money from them anymore it's it these are the we're being squeezed you know in, in all sorts of ways another example is i know we, we didn't want to get to the strike but that probably was oh, no definitely was probably jar jar's number yeah i had to just cross it off i was gonna say <laughs> tell us about I why the strike is happening in later heard that squeeze yeah but let's say that you're lucky enough to be a, a, a writer on a you're in a, on writing for a television series. Television series used to be 22 episodes a season, and you get a certain amount, right, for that. Well, now it's 10 episodes a season, and you're getting half. You're not getting twice as much to make up for the 10 episodes you used to write, the other 10 yeah. episodes. You're getting half as much as you got for each of those 10 episodes you write now that's the squeeze that's that's where that's a lot of how the inequality of what's going on you know uh so that's a, that's an, another example of what we're what we're trying to sit down and, and readjust um how like, how close yeah. are we to like a, an actual like a, an agreement well uh, there's nobody there's nobody there to agree they they got up and walked away and, oh did they yeah and then and then we just went on strike so and we're yeah we're ready to come back anytime the thing is that the thank goodness the uh 
the actors SAG just had a 97 something percent approval to strike if they don't if they don't get what they want by the time their contract is up and their contract is up I think at the end of this month yeah I, so yeah, they're ready to go out and if it, and if they go out you know if actors go out I mean that's that's hugely that's oh. impactful and about you know we're trying to shut down production by picketing and and you know uh but it's not as effective as as when everyone joins in those writers come out and they're on this they've been very supportive sag has been tremendously supportive so if they go out that'll have a huge impact and i think that'll that's gonna cause them to consider coming back to the table for all of us also you know they're they they have they they have stockpiled material and they they know how far they can go before there's going to be a dent and then there's going to be a a, 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 a real a real crevasse of entertainment that they're going to need new material for it. Yep. So they kind of know when it is for them. So they, it doesn't, the, the joke is we're not going anywhere. It's like if they, they can't possibly expect us to not continue to strike. We're not going to go like, Oh, let's, let's end this now. No, we're going to keep, we're going to stay out there picketing until, until, they come back and we start, you know, and we have to talk about AI too, which is very oh, yeah. important. And, and we are, we're really on the the frontier of confronting that mm-hmm. because we're it's the like first. like the nineties all over again with yeah, uh, this, the internet happening. Right. And this tech is so, and, and here I'll, I'll give you an example of why writers are concerned about AI. And I thought about this yesterday. And I said, Bennett, that's a very good uh, <laughs> metaphor. And, and, and here it is. So when you see a special effect, you know, computer generated, like any kind of special effect, you know, that term, the uncanny valley, that's, that's, and it's, you're watching it and it's a special effect. It looks, it looks 98% real, but there's some element about it that just doesn't feel right. And your mind knows it. And so it's, and so it, you you don't accept it because, because you know, it's not, it's not genuine. That's what, uh, AI generated material, writing material is like it. It just takes it takes all the exact because it can't think and it doesn't have any. It, it, it doesn't have a human element to it. It takes everything and it sort of rec- it, it should be called uh, instead of AI. It should be called uh, GR, generous reconstitution, because it just changes it and gloms it together in a different way, and and it's missing. It's missing. The edges are are sharp, and you know it just it's not the same thing. The guy Charlie Brooker, this is a brilliant writer who created uh, Black Mirror. He's just oh, that's a great uh, show. Yeah, he just generated a, a Black Mirror script with with uh, AI and said it's a piece of shit. He said all that they did was just I could see all my ideas from the other uh, episodes of, of Black Mirror, but without. Any without any subtlety, nuance, smoothing down of it at all. So what I fear is that uh, studios will use AI to generate like a first draft that will be uh. sharp and, and kind of crappy, but there structurally or whatever. And then now let's bring a writer in for a lot less money than we would have paid them to generate it originally and bring them in to smooth it out. And I think that's where they want to put us. And that's not where we want to be. No, definitely not. So, wow. Another question of yours that took 20 minutes. Do you have any questions that could be answered in 20 seconds? I got uh, one. Minutes. 
Yeah. What's the social life like? Are we chilling with Jim Carrey or are we hanging out with the likes of William Goldman? <laughs> well, if I, I'd have to be dead if I was hanging with William Goldman. But well, yes. a possibility. You know, I mean, I do have. A I figured I'd go with a writer of some sort. I will tell you, William Goldman was my favorite writer when I was growing up. I loved him. Oh, no I, I loved him as a novelist and then as a screenwriter. And and he he. Uh, put me in he created uh, i loved him even like uh, the princess bride i read the princess bride and there's a character named yellen in it there's a character named yellen in it my last name so of course i had to write him a uh, a fan letter i was in high school and my fan letter was and i was i just admired the guy so much i admired his his books marathon man and and I, he was such a great screenwriter, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men. Right. He was the highest highest paid screenwriter. He was like a role model for me. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And I wrote him a, a, a gushing fan letter. And uh, at the end of it, I said, you're under no obligation. P.S. You're under no obligation to answer this. But if you don't, I'll kill myself. And, uh, <laughs> and I got a letter back from him. Uh, and it was dated. It was dated on my birthday, 1975, and uh, and I was in high school. And the letter said, "Dear Bennett, I don't normally answer letters. I hate writing them. But after reading your note, I couldn't have you killing yourself either." Uh, he said, "Thank you so much for the flattery. I'll try my best not to believe it." William Goldman, and uh, and that was it. I'm like, that's I, I want to be William Goldman. That's and that's awesome. he, yeah. And and by the way, a few years ago, I got a letter like that, strangely enough, written to me by someone young who said, uh, Dumb and Dumber made me want to be a screenwriter, and uh, thank you for inspiring me to be a screenwriter. I, it blew my mind. I was, I was like, this is it, really touched me to, to receive something like that. Um, that's again, that's, write them back. I did not write them back. Oh, I didn't who, think you would. Guy who, who's who wrote me. I did write him back, and we oh. actually we actually connected and we spoke and everything. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course, I would. <laughs> well, uh, I figured well, you were like, well, that's one less screenwriter <coughs> I have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, yeah, maybe I put some. Uh, what is it called? That uh, deadly arsenic? powder that you put in in letters. Oh, the, uh, oh yeah, you know, it's anthrax. Anthrax. Put some anthrax in it. There's that's one less writer. One less uh, competitor. You you realize Jar Jar, you just shut down the channel. They're, they're right. right. That's why oh, I said no. Anthrax is, is a out. band. No, it's a band. It's a, band. It's a musical right. band. Anthrax is a band, right? I put uh, out of New York. It's it's good. It's it's all it's okay. <laughs> right. It's a it's a thrash or a heavy metal band. But no, I don't hang with no, I don't hang with celebrity at all. In fact, in fact, I, I'm always. Let me tell you, it's it's kind of. I have been with them, and I've been out with them, and what happens is it's very weird. Celebrities have this skill that they that they can shut out the people looking at them, and, and they can shut out the the interest. That, I mean, they go out and they know that people are looking at them. They but they they figured out a way, you know, to not see it or or to see past it. But if you don't have that skill, if you're just someone who's hanging out, you know, you're the sucker fish hanging around <laughs> uh, next to celebrity. You catch it all, and it's very distracting. You know, it, 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 it's it's really uncomfortable, actually. But uh, they're just people. They're just some of them. Some of them are. Some of them are animals. Yeah, they're just people. <laughs> most, some of them most are. Most of the ones we've met are just. Yeah, well, that's true too. 
Yeah, you get all you get the nice people. You 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 get the nice people on your show. Have you ever had a guest? Okay, that you didn't like, like like he or she came on and you're like, uh, but you had to be polite, like like you're doing now, pretty much. You know. Well, yeah, there's Once been a couple over the last four years. <laughs> there's been through. a couple over the last four years. Yeah, you know? yeah. where I type to Leo know. behind the scenes five minutes in. Is this fucking show over yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, everybody this guy uh, is an asshole. <laughs> most of the time, people are, are very nice, and, and and you know, and by the way, and Jim Carrey is very nice, and Jeff Daniels is very, is just very, is very nice, very nice people. I, I find because. Jim Carrey to be fascinating. The, his his attitude his, yeah, towards his, life these days. Yeah, his spiritual search. Yeah, you're right. Because he because he's he's gone through a lot of uh, iterations oh, yeah. Of, of yeah like he had his whole i'm not really here we're not really here and, and i'm like god bless right. you jim I'm, I'm glad we did dumb and dumber too before we, before we left. <laughs> uh, and uh come back soon but no i i, I can see him exploring you know the guy is the, the guy has said you know you you can have everything you want you can have that 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 check that you put in your father's grave when you buried your father, that could come true for you. And if, and still feel like there's something missing, you know, and, and he's right. I mean, it's true. It could happen to anybody. So uh, now that you're not, you're, you're now writing with James Johnston. How, how did yeah. that happen? Well, I, I, I've written, I've only written in partnerships. Yeah. I've written several, written several partnerships like the pooch and the popper. Seven Cent Pooch and the Popper was written with another writing partner that I wrote with just after I, I stopped writing with Pete Did and Bobby. Did you call them to see if they got Seven Cents too? I texted him. Uh, <laughs> and he, did, he, I, he texted me back, so I, I texted him a picture of it. He, uh, he was like, no, I got nine cents. Uh, son, <laughs> of bitch, son of a bitch. But I always like working with somebody else because there's. It, it was William Goldman who actually said there's nothing more lonely than a writer going into a room by yourself, sitting down at the time at a typewriter and, and closing the door and being by yourself. And I, and I don't like that. So, and I've never written anything that by myself, I always like to write with a partner. It's fun. It's, it's it your friend. It's social. You, you spend, you know, honestly, a lot of time not writing, avoiding writing by just laughing and talking about this and that and, and the news and, and, and people who are, who are pissing you off and, you know, and then you get to writing. But also I, I love being part of, this is why I actually, like I avoided uh, being, a, being I avoided television for a long time because I just thought that, that it was going to be very stressful and late hours. And I, I just, I didn't want that kind of life where, you get home at 2 a.m. and then you have to get, you know, I, I, but, but when I finally did a show, it turned out to be this very sweet thing where, where the writer's room was just full of, we were so lucky, good, nice, good, creative people. And the idea of throwing an idea around yeah. and having it just tossing from back and forth is so much fun. You know, it, 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 you don't, there's, there's no ego to it or, or, or the less ego, the better, because, you don't worry about saying something stupid. No one's going to, everyone will forgive you for a, a, a stupid remark because there's no stupid in that room. There's either it right. works or it doesn't work, you know, and there's no judgment. I've, I've been involved in that kind of uh, scenario multiple times with, I've worked a number of times with a friend of mine, Brian Levant, who uh, 
directed the Flintstones and Snow Dogs and, and Jingle All the Way. And uh, and Brian comes from television. He came from he, he was the showrunner on Happy Days at a certain point, And then the new Leave it to Beaver. He loves a writer's room. So he will get together um, a bunch of writers. Just, and he, he just loves that whole process of that throwing it around. And I love it, too. I, I, I think it's so much fun. So James is the lead, the last writing partner that I've written with. And, and we've written together for the longest amount of time. I think we've written together for about 18 years, which is, I mean, that's a long time for a partnership yeah, because, you know, yeah. partners can, they can go their separate ways, not for negative reasons, but because somebody wants to branch out or do that, or, you know, there's all a thousand ways that they might separate, but we've stayed together uh, because we, his, James is so smart and his, he was the, um, he was the head of development for Patrick Stewart uh, at Paramount when Patrick Stewart had a production deal when he was doing uh, Star Trek at Paramount. And I came in to pitch him something with, with the Mark Stylin, with Seven Cent Mark Stylin. We wanted to pitch him a, a remake of, of, a, um, of an old British movie that was that called The Assassination Bureau that was based on a famous book. Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember who wrote the book. Very famous author. And uh, and at, at, at the time, my partnership with, with Mark was ending. And so uh, and so that's when James and I kind of developed a partnership and started writing together. So um, and have worked together on a bunch of stuff, you know, a lot of direct to DVD things. And uh, although don't forget, we'll come back around to at the end of this. I want to mention we just uh, sold James and I just sold a spec script uh, hours before the strike. Uh, the producer took us when, out. Huh? When oh. you do that, yeah. um, not to get too deep into it, but <laughs> with the strike, go yeah, with the <laughs> strike going on, yeah. um, <clears throat> they they now have to s adhere to exactly what's in the script, right? Well, here, now, here here's what. Here's the reality of what can happen. So, so the, the, this producer was, we knew he was interested in the script and we had had meetings with him and about it and everything like that. And the strike was coming and the Friday before the strike started on May 2nd, I think, he took us out to breakfast and he said, guys, what's the reality? Is, is this going to happen? And we said, it looks like it is. So, you know, he said, well, then I want to buy your script before the strike starts. So the plus is, the man bought our script. We had to, to do some fast, you know, maneuvering because we, we couldn't do it. Once the strike started, we couldn't have any involvement, zero. So, uh, so we sold it. Although we did find out later that that if you had, if there was a sale in process, it could continue if it went over the, the beginning of the strike until the sale was completed. You know, if it, it had been started before, but we got it done before on April thirtieth. And uh, and so, fant I mean, how thrilling! We sold a spec right. script hours before the strike started, and then we can't work on it. We can't do anything. We can't now. Now they can. It's his script. I mean, he owns it. He can do whatever he wants. You know. Oh, okay. Uh, that's the thing. So so they they've already had uh, a reading at, at which we, you know, we couldn't attend any of that, and we can't attend. We can't do anything until the strike is over. So they could they could ostensibly they don't like. They could ostensibly, they're not supposed to, but they could rewrite it. They could. Uh, they want it, They're making it in September or October. It's called. It's called Traction, and it's a supernatural thriller. 
and it's basically yeah it's different it's not a comedy it's a supernatural thriller very much you know it's kind of a we wrote it a few years ago and at the time our 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 management said you guys you can't do this this is sort of like a hybrid of like uh of one type of movie and then it turns into another and we were like yeah that was our intention they said well we're not doing that now hybrids uh, barbarian is a recent example of a big hit movie that's called sort of called a hybrid horror movie where it starts out you think it's this is happening and then that's happening and it's a girl young girl wakes up in the hospital room and she's in traction she cannot move but she's got amnesia she has no idea who she is or where she is nothing and someone or something does not want her there some some creepy energy so that's the where it starts um and that'll come out next year i'm sure but yeah we can't and the, the strike may end by the time they start shooting it or once they're in production and maybe they'll, they'll bring us back in to be involved uh, creatively but we can't do anything with so it, the, the, it's the give and the take i'm very very grateful that we were able to sell it and i'm sort of sad that we can't work on it but i so support the guild and everything we're striking for mm-hmm. that you know I, and, and i also wouldn't want to do anything to to you know i want to respect my guild as very much you know it's are with that movie with that writing are, are you a believer of the supernatural yeah i think i'm a i'm a believer of yeah i i'm a believer of of i think i think our the the spectrum of of what's out what's out there and what's in there and whatever is massive and and we're only attuned to like that on yeah. on that radio dial and, and so i don't know I, I don't have answers for it, but I think there's absolutely there, there's just there's yeah, and, and and it's always just so fascinating. To, I've always been fascinated by that and 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 ghost stories and well, horror. I love horror too, but the supernatural fascinates me. And also, uh, you know, uh, unidentified UA. Now it's called UAPs. Uh, is it not UFOs anymore? But right, who, who, Leo. Yep. Uh, yep. And did you uh, yeah. totally off topic? But uh, did you? Did you hear there the news release for today? Uh, is this the, that someone in the government like like uh, has claimed that there that we do have? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yep, yeah. I do. I, do. I keep in touch. I I love Whitley Strieber, I, I, and so I I'm, I I keep in touch with all that his site, which I think is great. Uh, uh, yeah, his yeah. story is oh my god, just incredible. His story is incredible, and yeah. he's and you know the, the, the it's not a joke, but. When he came out with communion, everyone was like, "Okay, uh, a horror sci- a sci-fi horror writer writes this thing about alien abduction. It's so obvious that this is fiction. Here it is, thirty-something years later, and the man is still. You know, this is what he's dedicated his life to: is exploring this. Uh, it's pretty obvious yeah. that it wasn't fiction. That, 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 that this was not some." trick of his or some you know some some bull crap that he was trying to pull up a man's very committed to exploring that that world and yeah yep yeah what else you got jar jar oh well wait a minute well, jar jar oh shit hey, ben, I, yeah, I, yes. I actually listen ursula to up there in the top square yes what about you <laughs> i listened to an interview that you had done not too long ago about, oh god I'm sorry. and they asked you what was the, the first movie you saw and i kind of started chuckling because you went on this little rant about how you would go to the drive-in yeah. and in the, in the station wagon. And then yeah. all of a sudden I went poof in my head. And I'm like, I used to do the same thing 
<laughs> that station wagon with the yes. panel and the seat in the back. Yeah. But it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Brothers Grimm. Uh, it was the wonderful world of the Brothers Brothers Grimm. How yeah, wonderful yeah. world. Yeah. So nice. um, I'm surprised you haven't rewritten that because you said it scared the shit out of you. Yeah. Yeah. It traumatized <laughs> me. And, you know, I'll watch the, and of course I've watched the, the scene, the, uh, the scene that scared me so much, which was Buddy Hackett fighting and Terry Thomas fighting this, uh, this, um, what's it called? Stop motion animated dragon with bulls yeah. in it, whatever. But for, for uh, I think that movie was 63. So I was four years old. Uh, and so, but, but for four year olds, terrifying, you know, like there was, right. there was danger, there was threat. And I, it didn't matter how funny Buddy Hackett was supposed to be. It's comic now, you know, I think, <laughs> but, but it, it's, but boy, did it have an effect on me. Also, well, it, it had the effect on you because it put you into that mind frame that every time you saw a film, you yes. wanted to be a writer. Yeah. Or, or, and that's or, where I was kind of going with that. Or it was a magical place, you know, that, that right. it was a magical world. You could, at the same time, uh, I think Bonnie and Clyde came out in 1967. And my sisters took me, my two older sisters took me to see Bonnie and Clyde. I'm eight years old. And that movie was, was it's hard to imagine how, uh, what effect it had. The end of that movie, which is, it's just so shockingly violent. There, there had not been, I think the Wild Bunch had come out before it, maybe, or maybe it was 60, Wild Bunch was 68. But I was horrified the, the the end of that movie it, it, it traumatized me i'm still traumatized by it you know i mean <laughs> film has this extraordinary effect and and, and, and right. not just to traumatize but to take you away to, to 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 make you laugh to make you feel better to move you to to scare you to all the things that that you sit in this darkened room with a bunch of other people it's a communal it's a weird communal experience and you're all being manipulated to feel these, I mean, where else do you do that? You know, I guess maybe you said, you know, like, like that's what religion is for some people. You, you know, right. you go to a church, you go to a synagogue. Uh, and so, yeah, movies were like my, they really were like my, my, my synagogue. Uh, nice. Because, and, and had that, that, that spiritual effect on me of, of making me feel like there was something bigger out there and something, something I wanted to be a part of. I'm very lucky. I, I don't ever take for granted the fact that I had this, I have had this amazing career, this kind of, I'm just, I mean, not everybody gets one and not, and certainly nobody, not everybody gets, has contributed to a, like a movie like Dumb and Dumber that that's entered the zeitgeist and, and become this cult thing that that's seems to be regarded with a lot of affection. Right. That's exactly what I wanted to do as a kid. I wanted to do, put on a show for you that took you away it's so nice. I got I got to do it. It 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 really right. blows my mind. No, it's it's great because me and my friends still do little lines from the movie every now and again, and it's just like I haven't watched the movie in probably like fifteen to twenty years. Yeah, but still, like lines will come up and just be like, oh. And you know, right? You know, there have been <laughs> there have been innumerable movies that have won the Academy Award and that you, you think of as that's, that's, that's a great movie. That's one of my favorite movies, you know, but is it in this weird culty yeah. kind of zeitgeist where every election either side will use. So you're telling me there's a chance, like, like yeah, the, right. the, the full lines from it. And I'm like, it's just, and, and it was not a big hit when, I mean, no, it was a big hit, but it was not 
when it came out, it could have been just another movie that came out that Jim right. Carrey was in that was funny, that made some money, and then we move along. But for some reason, it just got pulled into this weird, lofted place, uh, which you can't make happen. You just, you can't, I mean, no. that's not something you can create. No. It, ha it just no. it has to happen to it retroactively. It's, it's, so, it's either magic or it's not. Yeah. Right. And then, then I'm, I'm very... For goodness sakes, the idea that I contributed to something that made that makes people laugh or gives them a warm feeling of when they saw it with their with you know it's intergenerational at this point. Like people right. show it to their kids and, and then the kids laugh and and that that blows my mind. I, I'm I'm so so proud of being part of that and this this is podcast too. It's right up there. Yeah, right? I don't know about all that. Still talking. Oh, yeah. One thing we never did through the entire show so far, and the show's getting towards the end, is oh. Leo. Where can they find out about our amazing oh, yeah. guest? I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt Bennett. I mean, he was just going on. Oh, I, it's I, just I amazing it. stories. I was yeah. loving it. So, but where can they find out more about the amazing guest that we have here? Well, where? If, you, if you check the show notes up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. But if you're also listening on Dead Dork uh, Radio. You know, just he head on over to stilltokenwith.com and uh, you can learn more oh. about our guests right there, too. That was a, that was a very... I like, are you uh, landing the fucking Millennium Falcon We've got, we've got, we've got exit front and back. Right, right. Back, front and back. <laughs> so, yes, all everything about Bennett is in there, including, is it Really Important Guy, Inc.? Really Important Guy, Inc. is... I, I had to incorporate for, like, tax reasons, you know, and I thought... What's what sounds like a pompous like what's, what's a pompous name for a company I come up with? That, that sounds like it's a really important company. Yeah, and I went, wait a minute, really important guy. Eh? That's and what I love is that you know I have it on my my uh, checks and things like that. I have it on my credit card. <laughs> and I love. I, I always know if when I go out to eat and I, and I pay with my credit card, I always know if the waiter or waitress has looked carefully. Because they'll come back to the table and go, "I really important guy." They'll hand it back and, and they'll they'll make a mention of it. They, they, they looked at it, uh, but it always gets a laugh. Which that's my, that's a long middle name, but that's my middle name. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. Uh, that's yeah. That's where that came from. That's now part. someone's gonna rip me off and and start a really important ink to. My final you know, question. Yeah. My final, I'm sorry. My <laughs> final question, uh, and it's really kind of, is this true? Uh, on IMDb, it says something about you in the future writing about Police Academy. Is oh, yes. That? Uh, I'm a huge Police Academy fan, and yeah. I, I love all the sequels. I actually didn't know that it went up to seven, though, so like, <laughs> I have a few that I missed. There's but... a reason why it tapered out. <laughs> two or three, if you saw them. Uh, yep. The answer is, uh, I did work on that. There was a Brian Levant, who I, my dear friend Brian Levant, was going to direct it, and got together a writers' room of my writing partner and a few other a few other writers, and we wrote a, a, a fantastic. It wasn't just so much fun to write this. Uh, but the producer, Paul Maslansky, who produced the original and, and who produced like the, the, the good ones at the beginning, yeah. he sat yeah. in too. He was one, an, old, one, two, an older guy. Huh? Oh, sorry, Ben, what? One, we two, might even three. say four yeah, was okay. Come on. 
Five was not bad. But Paul Maslansky sat in on it as for for the whole writing, and he said at the end when we were done, he said, "This is the most fun I've ever had because because it, it was a blast. It was a great group of people. That, that's the the joy of a writer's room where you're, where you're just throwing it around." And we wrote it for Warner Brothers, and uh, and then because, and it was a really fun. The script was this is exact. It was as if you took it off the shelf from the eighties. That's the, the what we were going for, like like watching a sequel that was made in the eighties. Although it, it had like a obviously it had a, a, a sensibilities of now in the comedy, but it re it read just like that, and I was so happy about it, and we were all excited about it, and Warner Brothers. Just they they, I, they they weren't they had an opera I don't want to get into the details of it but they had an opportunity to to, to do it and Netflix really really wanted it and wanted it badly and they but they also wanted Warners to let them show their uh, the other uh, all the other mm. police Academy movies and Warners balked so it oh. sort of killed the project it started, froze it. And I think I think Paul Muslansky's son has tried to resurrect it, but, but I don't know. But that was a that was a sad one that that didn't happen because that would have been Brian would have been the right person to direct it, and and, uh, and it was a really funny script. And Steve Gutenberg was calling every week to find out oh, how no it was kidding. going. I know because he was excited to do it too. It would have been cool if he would have been like the new commandant, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. It was uh, uh, you would uh, you would have been happy. I'm telling you, if you love Police Academy, you would have been happy with this. It, we we acknowledged oh. it in all the right ways. I know it's terrible when you hear about these projects that that didn't happen. You're like, damn it! It happens so often. It, it like a lot, literally. Yeah. Uh, even in the comic book world, we'll hear like one of our favorite stories is getting optioned for a movie, and yeah. 20 years later, still nothing has come of it. Right, and you're just like, oh man, that would have been it's so like, cool. Development is you know, like, uh, this is what I, uh, for a movie. It's a movie. Uh, a film goes through. Think of the factory as like uh, a, a conveyor belt and an assembly line. And a movie, a script goes through so much on its way to becoming a movie. And no one, no bad movie that I'm aware of, really starts out with a horrible script. It, it starts out with a good script that gets screwed up in the in the development process as it moves along that conveyor belt, and then kind of like comes the out, telephone game, right? Like the telephone game, like the telephone game where the intention is to be shitty at the end, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like to deliver the worst message at the end. But but no one wants to do that. Everyone wants to make the the best movie possible. And so when you see a movie and it's good, it has gone through the it is survive the gauntlet of, 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 of production and, and, and development. And it's, and, and it's a miracle. That's what I'm trying to say is a good movie is a miracle. Uh, you know, and so celebrate it, you know, like appreciate it. And, and, you know, I like to make fun of bad movies because they're fun to make fun. It, like, like you know, I have a bad uh, friends. We have a bad movie night, uh, you know, every month that's, and, and and you're 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 encouraged to cat call. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the best cat call I ever remember. It was for the movie uh, Prophecy. Do you remember this movie was a horror movie made by John Frankenheimer in the '80s, mm -hmm. and it was all about like a, a bear that a mutated bear that had been poisoned by the uh, the logging companies. They poisoned the river, and so the bear mutates and starts killing everybody. And we're watching the movie, and there's a scene where uh, an, this uh, 
this Native American chief confronts the bear and is saying, you can't do this. And the bear just takes a swipe at him and starts attacking him. And one of our, our audience, this very funny, uh, very smart film critic named Alonzo Duraldi said, uh, please don't squeeze the shaman, which I thought, <laughs> I, I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever, but so it's, it's, it's fun to do. And I was actually, I remember seeing a preview of that movie in the theater with Frankenheimer and the executives there and, and roaring, the audience roaring at the whole movie. But, but I've just now completely obliterated the, the point of saying that celebrate a good movie by saying to make fun of bad movies. So I apologize, but you know, at least when you're making fun of a bad movie, you're extracting joy from something oh, yeah. that may have gone wrong. But uh, you know, I love mysteries theaters, mystery science theater. <laughs> Three thousand. Yeah, I love that stuff. What else? Well, ben, God. it's your turn. Wait, Say what's it. what's my turn? Well, that wraps up the. Oh, we got it's an outro, as they say in the. Are, is it? Oh. Time? Oh yeah. Are we done? Leo's got Leo's got another show coming up shortly. So uh let's go to you already had your last question though. I know well, that's why I said he did. Oh. He's saying he's, he's well, handing it over to you. Seeing, right how, seeing, seeing how it's <laughs> been the Jar Jar and Bennett fucking show tonight. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just, I do I do want to ask you a serious question though. Um where you're in the guild in, in SAG and all that, what do you think about independent? Just out of curiosity, writers. I, I I love it. Any, I love I love it. It's a, any get your movie made any way you can. Any way you can. I mean I mean like like absolutely. And I, I'm I'm certainly not a, a like a an advocate for only you know st the mm -hmm. studio system or whatever. And in fact, independence generally allows for a lot more of that's that's for independent filmmaking is for independent filmmaker meaning like. A writer director somebody who really has a vision and wants it and and wants to keep that vision theirs you know that the fact right. that it ex that that option exists is huge it's it's massive and very and it, it's really important to keep independent film rolling and, and going you know uh and that means go see that means see it to see that you know be be a be an audience member they'll make sure you you vote with your money to to keep it going but I'm a huge fan of independent. Some of my favorite movies are, are were like independent films, you know, not out, outside the studio system. Studio right. system, it's like, you know, it's like McDonald's. You know, like, like that's, you know, what you get and you know, you're going to yeah. get it. And, and, and that's, and they make it in the same way. It's, it's processed in the same way. And again, like things get through that are, are more artistic and, and kind of more like, for instance, yeah, I won't say I, I won't give an example, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a fan of I'm a fan of independent cinema and and that that system. It's so hard to get, it's so hard to get a movie fine. It's it's not hard to get a movie written, although it's hard to get a good script because it's hard to find a good writer. But they're but they're out there, but and it's not hard to 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 gather together the people to make a good movie. Right. It's hard to finance a movie, and in that fact, it is you're seeing that it more is. and more now before something starts, whether it's streaming, there's five or six production companies, their logos before the movie starts, you know, uh, because that's how it had to be glommed together from a whole bunch of different sources and it had to go right. international. And 
things like that. And there's so many rules for international financing. They they have lists of actors they want they, that they want in the movie. It, it's it's really it, it's it's a different game depending where you're getting your money from. But uh, right, right. Cool. Wow, Leo! Leo? Yeah, you want to ask about rat snakes? How to how to <laughs> them and gently release them back into the? No one's going to understand. Oh, this. <laughs> I don't know. Some of our our diehard viewers that have been here since like season one, season two, they'd understand oh, the rat snakes. They, they all know like, about Leo, <laughs> the murderer. <laughs> uh, the best thing was that you actually had a picture of the dead rat snake to to show me, like 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 waiting. Oh well, no, that was only one of many pictures. <laughs> I, yeah, probably the least uh, gro the grossest, the least gruesome. Yeah. Uh, Jar Jar, do you want to? Um, you know, I uh, do have one thing to. Well, that's not uh, where I was going, but you can oh. go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've already hugged enough of the show. No, no, no. I was going to say, do you want to tell them how the snakes were dispatched of? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no. please tell me. How were they dispatched of? I, I don't recall. You, what the, the chopping of the heads by double axe i oh, I, I, axe. I had i had one in each hand and because during the summer they would go so fast they'd crawl up the uh <laughs> <laughs> somebody somebody just wrote we know we all know yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> i'll end it there that's a, that, I, i'm gonna write that script <laughs> rat rat snake <laughs> movie I'm gonna pitch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce ideas off of Bennett and see what I can get back. There That's you go. It. Let's take f five minutes to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> just run it through the AI. They oh yeah, let AI. Up later, oh. Bennett. <laughs> Somebody yeah. pause him. Don't worry, I'll pay you later, Bennett. He'll be all right. Uh oh, he just hiccuped. That's not really Jar Jar. I swear to God. Yeah. Something oh, by I, the way, uh, Power Tool is not a toy uh, yes, by the young adults. By the young adults. I, when, when Dumb and Dumber, the script of Dumb and Dumber was rejected soundly by every place we sent it out to, we said, oh, we should rename it and send it out again. So we, we did it <laughs> twice. We sent it around twi twice more. Once we called it Go West. And then uh, in a fit of desperation, we called it a power tool is not a toy, which was a song by the young adults. And uh, again, it was rejected soundly. Yeah. I got, I, I guess they had coverage. Once someone figured out like, wait a minute, we've read the script before. And then they looked at the coverage and uh, everyone said. Both are really good alternative names. I have to say like well, go they, west makes sense. And... Yeah. It would have worked, but, yeah. uh, but dumb and dumber was, is, is in the, once again, it's in the zeitgeist. Mm, so there right. you go. Oh. Right. So, Leo. Yes, sir. Why don't you go ahead and ask him your question, and then we'll wrap it. Sounds good. Well, one thing uh, we we like to ask is, you know, since we are on the Dorking and Podcast Network, what do you dork out about? Like, you know, we had one guest that loves, you know, the history of, like, sunken vessels and, you know, uh, another may collect snakes. You know, what, what do you dork out about? Well, it, well, there goes the snakes answer. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I, I think I even said this at the beginning that the one, the two things I wanted to do when I was a kid was I wanted to write movies and I wanted to, uh, to be an Imagineer. So, so I dork out about the, the behind the scenes of theme, theme parks and attractions oh, nice. and things like that. I am, I, I'm fascinated by that stuff. And, and, and when I was growing up, 
I knew I couldn't, I knew I didn't have any capacity to be an Imagineer because it's, it was all kind of engineering and things like, you know, it was, it was the technical sciences that I was always terrible at. I could, I knew I could write and I knew I could write a sentence, but I, I couldn't, you know, tell you what angle uh, the track had to be at to, to make, you know, that, that was way beyond me. So I didn't think about that as a career. And then, uh, so I became a, a screenwriter. And at a certain point, I, I, I asked a friend of mine who did work in, in it's called themed entertainment. He had just come back from Abu Dhabi, where they, he, the company he worked for had opened a, a $4 billion amusement park called Warner oh, wow. Brothers uh, World in Abu Dhabi. And he had designed it. He'd been part of the design. And I said, Taylor, is it, do you get people who come from like film and television into your and you know, the themed entertainment? He said, yeah, all the time we do. He says, the, develop, the process of developing an attraction requires a writer. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. So <laughs> I, uh, I went and I spent a year and I explored that. I met everyone in the biz from Imagineers to I really, I got to go, actually go and have a meeting at Imagineering, which was a dream come true of mine. And in the process of it, met people who, who did that and also were fans of Dumb and Dumber. And one company, Super 78, they're like a little boutique company and they make that they make attractions. They hired me. They had a, they were hired to take an attraction in at, a, at an aquarium in uh, in Texas. And the, the, it was a 4D movie based on um, SpongeBob SquarePants. So 4D is like you're watching the 3D and then it's the leak. Right. And you'll, you'll feel water hitting you. And they had lost the, the IP for SpongeBob. They, they were renting it. And so they needed to retheme the attraction. And so they, they took Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because it was free. It's public domain. And so they brought me in to, to do a comedy pass on the material. Uh, uh, and it was it had there was also improv involved because they, they created this this system where uh, if you've been to Disney Disney World, there's something called Turtle Talk, where you're talking to like Whoa, an animated turtle is talking to the kids and everything. They created their own uh, system to do that, which is part of the attraction. And so uh, I, I I did like a comedy pass on the material. I actually had a chance to work on an attraction, and it was so much fun. I had such a great time. And then uh, and then I thought, oh, I could probably pursue this as a career but then came 2020 and came march 11 to 2020 and everything i came to a halt um and so that that but i got to do it once and i had a great time doing it and for me that was a dream come true too i had uh, so that's what i geek out about i love that stuff i love amusement parks i love roller love roller coasters uh i love all that stuff um and i've been doing it for pursuing it for years but yeah it's a big it's a big that's really yeah. cool. That's that's my my yeah. my my, my key. And then you've got to live it out. That's even I, I can't. I can, once I, you can imagine how how I feel that I got to do the two things that I dreamt about doing. I, I just you know, like is I have to make sure that the roof. Is <laughs> I'm sort of inviting it, but uh, no. And then I always wanted to be on a podcast called Still Toking, but yeah. Uh, that was another dream of mine. And now I can hold on. I'm going to cross that off my Where's list. The bucket list. Uh, all right. I got to hang <laughs> on that note. On that note. Yeah. Leo. <laughs> yes. 
It's your turn. <laughs> you going to yeah. take us out? <laughs> I'm very disappointed. What is that thing crawling around by your act? Liam, what's a snake? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I was going to say, Ben, I'm very disappointed. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, that was the best time where you could have, you could have uh, said, "Just go, man." Oh yeah, yeah, just go, man. Just uh, yeah, right. So I always uh, yeah. I but, actually, while while I've been sitting here, I I did. So there you go. I couldn't get, get up, and, and I didn't want to interrupt the show. So now you know why I'm under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> so since this has been charge, I golden. Since this has been the Jar Jar show, the Jar Jar and Bennett show, uh, why don't we have Jar Jar take us out? Where am I taking us? All right. <laughs> Since there's a, a, a strike and stuff, I can only read what was already written. And that says, and that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Splash. Oh, no, hold on. Still talking with <laughs> the podcast that always leaves you with a smile on your face and an appreciation for the world around us i guess um but no i'm jar jar what the hell is that i have oh, no idea I... ben you guys okay. put me under the the button here Go but ahead. uh you can find me here next week on still talking with and we'll be having eddie deason on oh, that's that right. correct great that and correct. then uh, if you're bored in about a half hour, I'll be on a show called The Midweek Geeks. And if you're not doing anything Tuesday night of next week at 8 o'clock, I'll be on this show called Splash Pages. And if you're not doing anything right now, my back really is sore and I could really use a back rope. But uh, yeah, those are all the places you can find me. Wow. Oh, another Did disappointment. Yeah. What yeah, well, miss? so normally I would then say, uh, Bennett, where do you like people interacting with you on social oh, media? I don't like them interacting with me at all, but uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, the less the better. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm barely on social media, but I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So you could don't send me your spec script, please. I'm not allowed to read anything. Yeah, I, heard I can't that. read anything. It's fantastic. Keep it up. <laughs> I've just given you everything you needed to get from me. Uh, this is the best script I've ever read. Don't give <laughs> up. But actually, my, my, my advice is don't give up. Because if you give up, everyone else rises a little higher. But if you stick with it, just stick with it. Because everyone's going to drop off. And you're going to be left at the top. Trust me. Stick with your dream. Go with your dream, pal. <laughs> the worst therapy advice I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, Benjamin, what about you, Leo? You know what? Just get up. Screwed up tonight. Jeez, just uh, you know, whatever Jar Jar said, ditto. You know, we're gonna be doing another show at nine. But just Google me; you'll find a bunch of stuff. Could be true, could be not. I'm not gonna say which is which. <laughs> Does that satisfy what you need, Benjamin? Sure. And ben, ben, <laughs> can you, ben, can you take us out with your, yeah. your, a little so, bit of under under the sea for us? Right, please? right. One of the things Leo forgot to mention is that he runs the Dorkening Podcast Network. He's got over 40 plus shows on the network. A lot of great people doing amazing things. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that. So, <laughs> but I want to thank Bennett for coming out and hanging out with us tonight. And, uh, you know, just 
shoot the shit, I guess. I mean, I didn't get any fucking questions in edgewise, thanks to Jar Jar. No, you did. You know, you I'm did. sorry. You told me the, the <laughs> co-writer of Dumb and Dumber is going to be on, and you thought, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't even finished. Like, uh, when's when are you on next, Bennett? When am I on next? Do you mean what am I, what am I on next? No, when are you on here next? Oh yeah, I don't know. Or I if mean, you I want, I'll take your email and we can just hang out. You I can think just, we shot we an enormous amount. I think we shot an enormous amount of shit. <laughs> I don't know if, how much shit there's left to shoot, but uh... <laughs> one of these days, one of these people are going to fall into my my DMs, and I'm going to have their phone number, and I'm going to be like, I've made it. <laughs> You have my phone number. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dream <laughs> bigger, Jar Jar. Dream bigger. Yeah. So, but no, seriously, thank you to Jar Jar uh, for being my co-host tonight while my co-host is on his Alaskan trip. I hope he's having a good time up there freezing his ass off. Um, but to all our veterans and first responders, we want to thank you for doing what you do so people like us can do what we do. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. We're out of here. <laughs>